All right. I appreciate the worship we've already had. I'd love for you to open your Bible, uh, pull out your phone, turn on your Bible, whatever you, you've got. I'd love for you to be able to follow along with me, starting in Mark chapter 11 at verse 12. Um, and before I do that, let me pray. Father, um, Lord, I thank you so much for the worship that we've had so far. Lord, we recognize that it's not our ideal. Lord, we would rather sing with other people. It's so much easier to experience and to feel the worship when the music is more present, when we're with other people together, God. But Lord, you said in your word that you desire worshipers who will worship you in spirit and in truth. So Lord, we give you the best that we have. Lord, we know that it is more than enough for what you desire, Lord, that while it might not meet what we desire, Lord, it meets what you desire when we are giving what we have, Lord, and singing in your truth. God, I thank you for that. And Lord, now I pray that you would, your spirit would work through your word in our hearts, God. This passage, I believe, has some important things for all of us. Lord, you have been speaking to me through it as I've studied it. Um, I know in talking to people already this week in the church that you've been working through it. So God, right now, Father, I I pray this sincerely as I pre-record it for tomorrow, but also as we pray it together on Sunday morning, God, that your spirit would work through it, Lord, that we would hear what you're saying to us through your word, and that we would respond in repentance and change and hope and all the things, God, that you're calling us to in this passage. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So Mark 12, uh, 11 through 25. And um, the big thing that I'm really hoping that we will get out of this, and I uh, messed up my slides here, so I'm going to jump ahead to it. And and, and here's the thing, what tables need to be turned over in my life? What tables need to be turned over in my life? And th- there's a lot that's in this text. Um, we, uh, and, and, and a lot of things that raise some significant questions, right? Um, I know that you guys have been wrestling with it. I've been wrestling with it. And, and what I've always found is true in scripture is that Usually where there's the biggest confusion and maybe some of the greatest questions that we might be asking of the text, a lot of times that's where God has some of his most powerful things that he wants to communicate to us. And we've got this mysterious thing that happens with Jesus and this fig tree. And then his cleansing of the temple, a story that we've, if you grew up in the church, you've heard a lot about. And then another back to the fig tree. And that, I think, all tells us from uh, Mark, who wrote this text, that he is, it's fig tree, temple, fig tree. The fig tree, the point of the fig tree is to help illuminate what he's doing in the middle of that. It's all Jesus teaching. So let's, let's go ahead and uh, start reading through the text. Mark 11, starting at verse 12, it says, On the following day, remember he just had his triumphal entry. He just went in the temple and inspected things. And by the way, I think that he, from that point, sees what he's going to do. He knows what his actions he's going to take the day that we're looking at now. When they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing the distance of fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, 
may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now, I think a lot of things that we could ask when we see this is like, is Jesus uh, not know what's going on? I mean, is he like uh, losing control of himself and just lashing out in anger here? Is he uh, just, uh, you know, kind of immature about the way he's behaving? And I think the answer to that is absolutely not. And for two main reasons that I would say that, because I believe that he is teaching here. He is trying to communicate an important point to his disciples and also through Mark to us. And the two reasons I'd say that is number one, uh, you know, this is an agrarian society. If it's an agrarian society, you are intimately familiar with the seasons of all things. Um, you know, we get apples from New Zealand. We get apples from Washington State. We can have apples at any time during the year because of all of our ability to transport, storage, the way we can preserve foods and make them last. In those days, you, it, it, you had to wait till the, the plant bared fruit and then you consumed it. So, and you grew up that way. So Jesus knew exactly that this was, this, he would, this was not the season for fruit. Um, but, and, it, and then the second reason I'd say that is because it, Mark explicitly says it. He says, for it was not the season of figs. Point being, guys, he knows there's not supposed to be figs on this tree. Okay, so I think that's important to realize here is that he's not just emotionally reacting. He knows what's going on here. He's teaching us. And then on to the next section, uh, starting at verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. So let's note here that, okay, so he is like taking some serious action here. Um, in other gospels, it says he got a whip out and started driving with the whip. I mean, this isn't just a gentle, hey guys, can we, you know, when you get a chance, when you're done with that customer, can we go ahead and clear these out? Yeah, go ahead and take, no, he's like, just destroying the place. And he, he is driving out those who sold, those who bought, so both sides of this transaction, and he overturned the uh, table of the money changers because the, at that time they would not allow people to buy stuff with foreign money. So first they would make them exchange the money and then they would have to uh, purchase stuff and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And by the way, that's a reference to the fact that in the Old Testament, when it talked about the different types of sacrifices we're supposed to brought, it usually allowed for something very inexpensive to sacrifice for people that were impoverished. And that was a, a bird, a dove, a pigeon. And so when he's talking about pigeons here, I mean, this is for selling to poor people. And typically, a lot of times what was happening in those days anyway, there was a lot of corruption and people would maybe bring their own pigeon from home to sacrifice. And then they would have inspectors be like, oh, actually, you know, your pigeon doesn't meet our requirements. Um, but good news, we've got some uh, a pigeon salesman over here, but unfortunately, they won't take your money, but you can go over here to our money changers. And then, you know, so they're ripping them off in their exchange rate and then they're ripping them off uh, to sell. Um and so there was a lot of corruption that was happening going on there, but there's some more details we need to get into. It says, 
uh, in verse 16, and he would not, he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And, and let me just help you guys to understand that a little bit better with a, with a drawing here. This is Herod's temple. This was the temple that was built and the Jewish people were using at the time of Jesus. And, um, it, you know, you've got, uh, in here is the, the holy place, uh, as, as well as the Holy of Holies was inside there. And then you had a, this is the area where the priests would go. And, and, um, and then you had a, another courtyard out here. All of this section right here was for the Jewish people only. And then outside of the, the court, outside of the temple, uh, the main part of the temple was an outer part called the, the Gentiles court. And, um, Here's a model of what they think that it looked like at that time. Uh, so, you know, in here is that that part we just saw, but all of this section out here around the temple itself was the Gentile portion of the temple. So if you were not a Jewish person, you could still worship Yahweh, but you had to be in that part. And by the way, this is at the edge of the city, and this would be sort of like the view that you would see from the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, I don't know that it would be quite this elevated, but you can see here's an entryway um, to the city and then all you know, part of the city in the background there. Um, and so if you were coming from Bethany or the Garden of Gethsemane and you needed to get back to this part of the city, you could enter through this gate and, and just kind of take a shortcut and to get to that part of the city. And so Jesus is, is like, no, 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 we're we're not doing that anymore. We are going to use my temple, the, my father's temple, for worship. That's what he wants to happen in that area. And I, and I think another thing that's really fascinating to point out as well is that what comes next. Look at, look at what he says next. And he was teaching them, saying to them. So he's instructing, this is why I'm doing this. Is it not written, and now he's going to quote from Isaiah, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And then now he quotes from Jeremiah, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, growing up, I always thought about this, this uh, passage in terms of, okay, he went through and cleared out all this um, uh, stuff that's going on within the temple. But note how it says, for all nations, for all nations, they had set up all of this business transactions, not, not just that it was dishonest, but the fact that this is now a marketplace where Gentiles had to worship. I mean, can you imagine like going into a busy food court at the mall? You know, what, what is a cafeteria like at a school? It is so loud. Can you imagine going to that kind of environment and then now I need to pray? It's a terrible place to pray. It is a terrible place to worship. But the Jews had done this to all of the, the outsiders. And that's an extremely important detail because God promised through Abraham and through the nation of Israel that he was going to bring the Messiah into the world, not just to bless the Jewish people, but to bless the entire world. God's heart is not aimed just at his people, but all the other people in the world so that they can come to him to experience him. And keep in mind this important detail. In those days, the Jewish people 
worshiped God in his presence at the temple. You know, today we have the spirit of God comes into our lives when we become Christians. But in those days, the spirit of God was at the temple. If you were a Jewish person, that's where you had to go to experience God. And because they had set up all these other things happening around the temple, it was preventing and not allowing other people to come and to experience God. And then going on, and the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. And I think that just what comes to mind when I think of that is that Jesus inspected the temple. Jesus brought judgment on the temple. And instead of the chiefs and the people that were in charge of all this, instead of them humbly repenting and asking for forgiveness, they judged God back. And, and, it, and isn't that a powerful thing for us to consider in our own lives? It's like when God brings his conviction onto you, when you, he points out something that's not right in your life, if you say, I am not stopping from that, I'm going to continue in the way I'm going, in a sense, you're judging him. You're passing judgment back on God. And why were they doing this? Why were they doing it in a secret way? It says, for they feared him, Jesus, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. And as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said, to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Now, typically when you do something to a tree that's going to kill it, it's going to take a long time. So clearly, clearly a miracle happened because this tree in one day's time has gone from healthy to now withered. Uh, and Jesus answered them, have faith in God. And, and the, the next part now goes into prayer and, and as I read that, I just want to mention, I, I want us to have the context of that, but there is so much information in this part of this passage that I've decided that next week I want us to go back to this so that we can really focus on the prayer things that Jesus teaches here. But I still want to read it now just so we can have that context because it all goes together. This week I wanted to focus on the temple aspect of it. Next week let's focus on prayer. So he says in verse 23, Truly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Um, okay, so I want to kind of run through a lot of other content here. And I would really encourage you if you have the ability to write this down, maybe you can come back. And, um, and, and so I'm going to kind of go fast. And I hope that, that you can keep up with a lot of this. And I'm, and I, I'm not trying to do too much information, but... Uh, several things that I really want us to observe from this. Because, again, I believe the point that he's trying to get to us here is that the, are there things in my heart, my temple, the new temple, that I have allowed in that are preventing worship, that are preventing other things? 
And, 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 you know, Jesus sees a fig tree that's healthy and it's got all of its leaves on it, but there's no fruit. He is hungry for fruit in my life. We can have all the appearance of worship. All of the most important things were happening at the temple at that time. But they were completely failing in, in, in some big areas that was preventing what really matters to God. So let's walk through this. Um, first of all, we need to recognize the problem. Recognize the problem. It prevents the fruit that God desires. In verse 12, it says that Jesus was hungry. God is hungry for fruit. That is what he desires. One of the great passages about fruitfulness in our lives is John 15. And it says this in verse 8, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What glorifies God in my life, my life, in your life? It's fruit. It's fruit. Now, what fruit is he talking about? Galatians 5 tells us, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. In other words, when he says that, it's not about obeying and, and doing all the things of the law. It's about a heart that's been changed by God, that the spirit from within is creating all of this fruit in my life. And instead of reacting in anger, I react in patience. Instead of uh, always acting on my impulses, I have self-control. I deal with people in gentleness, all those kinds of things, and they're all relational kinds of things. He cares about fruit. And then I love this passage. You may have noticed it um, saying, sung at the beginning of the, the service before it started. Amos, God says, I hate, I despise your feast, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Now keep in mind that these are things that God has commanded the Israelites to do. They're not their own feasts. But he's saying, I hate all the things you're doing. Like the song that came before our service, I hate all your show. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings, again, things that God commands to do, and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your hearts, harps, I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Putting on a show is worthless to God. This temple at that Jerusalem's time was the heyday of the temple. It was impressive, and we're going to see coming up that the disciples were like, whoa, this is an amazing building. Isn't it incredible? God says, I don't care about any of that. The show means nothing to me. Instead, let justice flow. Let righteousness be lived out. He wants fruitfulness in our lives. That's what he desires. So, and then, so we need to recognize that the, it prevents the fruit that God desires. And then we need to recognize that it impacts the mission. 
the whole purpose that God had in, in, in the nation of Israel was to bring in the Messiah to the world so that God could redeem people back to himself. His purpose is expansion of his mission, his kingdom coming. He's calling people to join him. And he references, you know, my house will be called a prayer, a house of prayer for all the nations. Let's read that, that passage in Isaiah. It's all about outsiders and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. In other words, all these things that God had for Israel were open and available to anyone. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. Look at this contrast with Amos. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The junk that we've allowed to come into our heart prevents the mission of God coming out of my life. His purpose in, in bringing me to himself is so that I can touch other people. So that I can invite other people and let them know, God, hey, this is what God has done for me. He can do the same for you. Come to him. So we need to recognize that aspect of the problem. And then we need to recognize that it makes your efforts a waste. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 3. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder. Think about it. We've got another building kind of concept here. A temple is a building. I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. All good buildings have a foundation. Foundations are built and then you build on top of it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. That's important. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone. It all gets built on him. But it matters what comes on top of it. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, those are all things, especially the first ones that make impressive buildings, don't they? From a human perspective, but let's keep going. Um, verse 13, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. In other words, there's coming a day when God's going to say, okay, let's give an account for how you spent your time. I gave you the foundation of Jesus Christ. Did you build on that? Or did you put a lot of other things on top of it? Money, desires, all these other things of the world. What it's saying is that there's going to be kind of a, a, a refining fire that happens that's going to burn up everything that has no real eternal value to show what really matters. In verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward in heaven. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through a fire. In other words, you just get through by the skin of your teeth. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. The presence of God was in the ancient temple. The presence of God is in our hearts. 
What are we building on top of the foundation of Jesus? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are holy. Recognize the problem. It makes your efforts a waste. We don't want to spend our life just doing a bunch of things that are just going to get burned up and we just get in by ourselves. Why do we do things that uh, have eternal value? And then second, we need to take urgent action. Take urgent action on these things. That's what Jesus does. We need to share his zeal for worship. And um, John uh, quotes this passage, but Psalm 69, 9, it says, For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. This is another prophecy that gets fulfilled in what Jesus does in Mark 11 in cleansing the temple. He is consumed with, his, with passion for worship of God. He doesn't want other things in the way of that. The reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. You know, they had brought in all these other things within the temple that they really were worshiping because it was about money to that leadership at that time. They wanted the power, and they were filled with greed. They loved the glory of being able to uh, be a part of all this incredible experience. But it really was not about worshiping God at all. God cares a great deal about that. We need to share Jesus' zeal for worship. Take action, brothers and sisters. And then secondly, we need to stop tolerating those things and get angry. Is this the kind of thing where it's like, okay, I'll get around to that eventually. At some point, I'll deal with this. Jesus gets angry. This is completely unacceptable. Again, he doesn't just ask them to move out. He's like, guys, we're going to do one more day, day of sales here. And then tonight, I want it all cleared out. It's like, no. He is throwing tables. Uh, John 15, 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away the father and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit and this whole passage in john 15 is about fruitfulness he says that the father is the vine dresser jesus is the vine we get grafted into that vine of jesus and because of that we bear fruit but just like any vineyard the vine dresser is going to get rid of vines that are not bearing fruit. The whole point of a vineyard is the fruit, not the vines. Who cares about grape vines if there aren't grapes? You got to have that. And then a couple verses later, it says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned like we saw in 1 Corinthians. So we need to stop tolerating and get angry and then we it, it realize that it starts where i have authority it starts where i have authority you know a lot of times i've heard christians use this passage to justify their anger at other people and i don't think we have that right to say that from this passage we have to be angry and take action where we have authority and that starts with myself jesus has every right here because he has authority over his temple. You know, he, he isn't just some random dude. 
He is the God of the universe. He's the one that designed this temple and made all of this possible. He has every right to turn over these tables and to drive people out of here and not allow people to use the temple as a little convenient cut through. He has every right in that. And I've got to start with myself. Matthew 7, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And then we have to realize that when it comes to other people, we do it with gentleness. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Guys, let's get angry with the sin that's in ourselves, and then let's approach other people with gentleness. With gentleness. It starts where I have authority in my own life, in my heart. You know, in my household, maybe in my business and the work that I'm responsible for. That's where we start. That's where we deal with it. It begins there. And then if we have the opportunity after that to deal with gentleness for other people, take urgent action. It starts where I have authority. And then third and finally, we need to trust God for fruitfulness. Let's trust him for fruitfulness. He causes the fruit, not me. He causes the fruit, not me. Back to John 15. He says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We can spin our wheels. We can uh, have a lot of leaves on the tree. We can have an impressive, huge temple and a lot of impressive activity in our life. But unless it's the fruit of God, it is nothing. And he's the one that bears that fruit. Brothers and sisters, our job is not to bear fruit. That's his job. Our job is to abide in Christ. And here he's confronting us with things that we've allowed into our temple that maybe we need to eject, that we need to take action against. So trust God for fruitfulness. He causes the fruit, not me. And then be hopeful. This shouldn't be discouraging. I hope that it's that it is um, confrontational. I hope that you are allowing the Spirit to, to inspect into your heart and give him some things that you need to give him. But Philippians 1, 6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God initiated. God will finish what he started. He's promised that to you. Christian, if you have accepted Jesus and you said, God, I've asked for your forgiveness, come into my life. I give you my heart. 
and you've trusted him to forgive you for your sins, to be that sacrifice in your place, if you've done that, then he's begun the work in your life. And he's continuing to refine you, to make him more and more like you. And he will complete it. There will be a day that that is completed. And that should be something that gives us hope. So what tables need to be turned over in my life? I really want us to, and I've been praying about this all week, that the Lord would work through this, that God would bring the true conviction to our lives and to the area. Like, what is in your heart that you've said, okay, God, I'm giving you the most important part of the temple, but these parts of the temple where just the Gentiles get to be, you know, the, the riffraff, the sort of the side areas, I'm going to allow that to stay. Are there things that need to be brought out? And I, I have a couple that I want to highlight in particular where I think the Bible takes us particularly First of all, do I need to forgive anyone? Is there anyone in my life that I need to forgive? And I mentioned that one because that's exactly where Jesus goes. And we're going to talk about this more next week when we talk more about prayer. But in verse 25, he says, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. You know, we cannot reconcile relationship with somebody else unless they ask for forgiveness. But he's not talking about full reconciliation. He's talking about just your side of the deal. If somebody has wronged you in some way and you're holding on to that debt, then you haven't forgiven them. You have got to give that up and say, okay, whatever they have done, they owe me this. I'm going to sign that away and I'm going to put it on the table so that if and when they were to come to me, I am ready to just give that, that debt deed back over to them like the bank. It's like, I completely forgive your debt. You owe me nothing. We have got to do that. Are there people in your life that you have failed to forgive that you're holding a grudge against that you don't want to have anything to do with? that you don't want to interact with. Now, maybe they've done some things to you that are significant, but we have got to forgive. Look at what he says in Colossians. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so that you also must forgive. God has forgiven you. You need to forgive. Do I need to forgive? And then secondly, um, is there sexual sin? Is there lust that I need to deal with? You know, I think this is the sin of our age in many ways. Um, you know, we have massive amounts of pride and selfishness, which I think is at the heart often of this kinds of kind of sin, but there is just so much of this in our culture. Um, we are all, I think, the more and more that I think about this and deal with this, the more I realize and believe that we are all broken sexually. And that is coming out in our culture. And let's go back to 1 Corinthians because I think it ties to this passage. We're looking at this today. It says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, 
but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Look where he goes next. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. My body is the new temple that's replaced the old temple. If I'm allowing sexual uh, lust and actions to come out of my body, then I am setting up tables in my heart that need to be turned over, that need to be dealt with. And, and, and just look at verse 20, for you were bought with a price. And that reminds me of the amazing story of Hosea, the prophet. Remember, God commanded him to marry a prostitute and to love her as his wife. And he faithfully loved her, but she left him and went back into prostitution, started living with this other man. Hosea kept paying for her expenses, even though she was hating him in such a um, huge way relationally. She ends up getting rejected by the man that she was with is now a slave and she's being sold on the slave block. Everybody in the town knows that's, you know, that's Hosea's wife. Look at her up there. It's so disgusting and horrible. All that she's thrown away with her life. And so people start bidding on her. And then Hosea comes to the bidding and he purchases his wife back. He wants his wife back and he will pay the price to have her back as his wife. And that's what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. We leave him, we've rejected him, we've walked away from him and we've allowed sin to come back into our life and to dominate parts of our hearts. But he's purchasing us. He's redeemed us. He has paid for us so that we can be free so that we can be with him. What tables need to be turned over in my life? I want to just take a moment before we go on to just pray this and to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Father, send your Spirit to each of the people listening to this right now. Father, what tables need to be turned over in my life? Father, thank you that you've sent your son to redeem us. Lord, there are things that you brought to mind where we repent, we confess. You're right, God. Lord, we're not going to respond like the scribes and the, and the Pharisees and the leaders of the temple in that, in that day with judgment of you. Like, no, that's not true. No, I don't want to do that. We are going to just repent. We confess to you that it's sin. And Lord, we want to work against it. We 
want to turn those tables over. We want to get angry and passionate about the sin in our own lives, God, so that we can fully experience you, that the fruit can start flowing out of our lives, and that we can start blessing other people so that all the nations can pray and experience you as the Father, as the Redeemer, as the Creator, Lord, as our hope and and our reference point for life. Lord, you are our significance, God, and you cry out to us that you love us. And you do love us, God, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.